Now we're continuing our reading of the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. And we're taking up where we left off at text number 41 of the third chapter of the Adi Lila. Taptahema Samakanti Prakanda Sharira Navamhiga Jinikanta Dvani J. Gambira. The luster of its expansive body resembles molten gold. The deep sound of his voice conquers the thundering of newly assembled clouds. Dhargya Vistareje Apanarahata Chari Hasto Hoe Mahaparush Vikyata. One who measures four cubits in height and in breadth by his own hand is celebrated as a great personality. Nyagroda Parimandala Hoi Khtar Nam Nyagroda Parimandala Tanu Chaitanya Gunadham. Such a person is called Nyagroda Parimandala. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who personifies all good qualities, has the body of a Nyagroda Parimandala. No one, purport, other than the Supreme Lord himself, who has engaged the conditioned souls by his own illusory energy, can possess these bodily features. These features certainly indicate an incarnation of Vishnu and no one else. So, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a young man, as an Imai Pandit, and in Navadvip, he would walk down the street. People would turn to look at him spontaneously as everything was perfectly in place. His Brahman's thread appeared to many to be the incarnation of Sheshinag, which it was actually, but it's all opulent, the body of the Lord, uh, the form. And even when Keshava Kashmiri came to debate in Navadvip, the Lord had arranged it so that he would greet him before coming into the city was sitting with his associates was Sri Nimai Pandit who were very much enamored of him because he had already gone around and defeated all the other local pundits and his erudition was unparalleled when someone can speak with such articulation and whose memory is prodigious and who is completely conversant with all Shastras and complete logic. It's very intriguing what to speak of the beauty of Nimai Pandit. His hair, which devotees lamented for years afterward, they were so attached to his beauty when he took sannyas and he shaved his hair that people were crying. And still the devotees who worship him in Navadweep, they they pine for him. They don't want him to go off and take sannyas. They want to give him all comforts uh, so he can enjoy his senses because he's the supreme Hrishikesh. And when you please the Lord's senses, your senses become pleased. And they don't like to see him taking austerities or to not decorate his beautiful form or that they can't decorate his form and so forth. So the form of the Lord is the attractive feature for the mind of the devotee. And when Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Manmana Bhavamad Bhakto Madhyaji Mandamaskuru, says, bow down to me, become my devotee, worship me. You can't, as Krishna says in the in the twelfth chapter of the Gita, it's very difficult to worship an impersonal form. It's nothing for the mind to grab onto or to be satisfied with. But because the Supreme Personality of Godhead has the most beautiful form, 
And he gives full permission for you to meditate on that form. In fact, he says, this is bhakti. This is the process. Think of me. What form will you think of Krishna? And if you go to Krishna's temples, one of the incarnations of the Lord in this world is the archa form. It comes in the form of the deity. Krishna doesn't mind if you go and sit there all day long. In fact, I've done this in Vrindavan. You can go in and sit in front of Krishna Balaram, Shishi Radisham, and Gordi Tai. Just uh, it's a hot day. You can sit on the cold marble and listen to the kirtan and just stare at the Lord all day or as many hours as you can stay there. And it never gets boring looking at their forms. And the Lord never minds. He never says, uh, don't look at me. Even in Mangalartik at Krishna Balaram Mandir in Vrindavan, I noticed that devotees are mesmerized. They come in and they stand as close as they can. And some are hanging even on the, the railing in front of the altar. And they'll just stand there stupefied, just seeing the form of the Lord. So this is important because in many different processes of uh, religion, we hear that God is the supreme, that he's almighty, he's all merciful, he has qualities and so forth, general qualities we hear about. But then when we ask, let's see his form, say, no, 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 you can't see. It's not possible to see. Of course, in the Shastra, Vedic Shastra, it says, Atashi Krishna Namadi Nabhaved Grayamindriye Sevon Mukhijivado Swayameva Spuratira. The way to see the Lord is to serve him, starting with the tongue. Then you can really see. And you'll notice if you do some tapasya for Krishna, then when you go before the deity or you see his picture, or even if you chant his holy name, then he reveals more of his form because Krishna says, Yeyata mam prapadyante tamstataiva bhajamyaham mamavart manavartante manusha partasarvasha as you surrender unto me, I reward you accordingly. So, in the Bhagavatam, the demigods praying for Krishna in the womb, to Krishna in the womb, say, Yene ravindaksha vimuktamaninas, toyasta bhavata vashudha budaya aruya krishna parampadam tata patantyatavanadrita yushmarangraya. Unless one comes to the point of developing a relationship with that personality of Godhead who has all senses. All senses are perfect. And enters into a relationship with him, then there is no liberation, actually. It's all in the mind that I'm liberated. But real liberation comes from here. So the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita is introducing us to this form of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead and uh, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and now giving the, the descriptions of his bodily form. So those who are developing love for Krishna, they relish hearing of these features of the Lord. Just like in this world, if someone falls in love with another, then he or she will want to hear of the qualities of the beloved. Oh, what is she doing? Uh, what is she wearing? What does she look like? What is he? What is he? What are his features? His strong chin and so forth. So similarly, when we're advancing in devotional service, these um, features become more and more attractive. And even if we don't have that attraction yet, by hearing them again and again, they begin to attract our minds. Okay. Ajanulambita buja kamala lochana tilapula jininasa sudhamshu vadana. His arms are long enough to reach his knees. His eyes are just like lotus flowers. His nose is like a sesame flower. And his face is as beautiful as the moon. Shanta Danta Krishna Bhakti Nishta Parayana Bhakta Bhatsala Shushila Sarva Bhute Sama 
He is peaceful, self-controlled, and fully devoted to the transcendental service of Lord Sri Krishna. He is affectionate toward his devotees, he is gentle, and he is equally disposed toward all living beings. Chandanera Angara Bhala Chandana Bhushana Dritya Kale Pari Karena Krishna Sankirtana He is decorated with sandalwood bangles and armlets and anointed with the pulp of sandalwood. He especially wears these decorations to dance in Sri Krishna Sankirtan. Eshap Guna Loi Mui Vishampayana Sahasranami Koila Tar Nam Ganana. Recording all these qualities of Lord Chaitanya the sage Vaishvampayana included his name in the Vishnu Sahasranam. Dui Lila Chaitanera Adi Arbish. Ari Ar Shesh Dui Lilaya Chari Chari Nam Vishesh. The pastimes of Lord Chaitanya have two divisions the early pastimes, Adi Lila, and the later pastimes, Shesha Lila. He has four names in each of these two Lilas. Suvarna Varnahi Mango Varanga Shanjanangari Sanyasa Krishama Shanto Nishta Shanti Purayana. In his early pastimes, he appears as a householder with a golden complexion. His limbs are beautiful, and his body, smeared with the pulp of sandalwood, seems like molten gold. In his later pastimes, he accepts the sannyas order, and he is equipoised and peaceful. He is the highest abode of peace and devotion for he silences the impersonalist non-devotees. Let's look at the words sarva, suvarna of gold, varna having the colors, suvarna varna, hema anga, he whose body is like molten gold, suvarna varna hema anga, varanga, varangash, chanjanangadi, having a most beautiful body, Vara Anga. Chandana Angadi, whose body was smeared with sandalwood, Sanyasa Krich, Sanyasa Krit, practicing the renounced order of life, Shama, Ekopoish, Shanta, peaceful, Nishta, devotion, Shanti, and of peace, Parayana, the highest resort. In his early pastimes, he appeared as a householder with a golden complexion, his limbs are beautiful and his body, smeared with the pulp of sandalwood, seems like molten gold. In his later pastimes, he accepts the sannyas order and he is equipoised and peaceful. He is the highest abode of peace and devotion for he silences the impersonalist non-devotees. Purport, this is a verse from the Mahabharata Dhanadharma Vishnu Sahasranam Stotra in his commentary on the Vishnu Sahasranam called the Namarta Sudha, Sri Balade Bidyabhushan, commenting on this verse, asserts that Lord Chaitanya is the Supreme Personality of Godhead according to the evidence of the Upanishads. He explains that Suvarnavarna means a golden complexion. He also quotes the Vedic injunction, Yada Pasya Pasyate Rukmavarnam Kartaram Isham Purusham Brahmayonim. Rukmavarnam Kartaram Isham refers to the Supreme Personality of Godhead as having a complexion, the color of molten gold. Purusham means the Supreme Lord, and Brahma Yonim indicates that he is also the Supreme Brahman. This evidence, too, proves that Lord Chaitanya is the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna. Another meaning of the description of the Lord as having a golden hue is that Lord Chaitanya's personality is as fascinating as gold is attractive. Sri Balade Bhushan has explained that the word Varanga means exquisitely beautiful. Lord Chaitanya accepted sannyas, leaving aside his householder life to preach his mission. He has equanimity in different senses. First, he describes the confidential truth of the personality of Godhead, and second, he satisfies everyone by knowledge and attachment to Krishna. He is peaceful because he renounces all topics not related to the service of Krishna. Sri Baladeva Bhushan has explained that the word nishta 
indicates his being rigidly fixed in chanting the holy name of Sri Krishna. Lord Chaitanya subdued all disturbing opponents of devotional service, especially the monists, who are actually averse to the personal feature of the Supreme Lord. So here, uh, the different uh, aspects of his qualities are enumerated and given more specific meaning. So Lord Chaitanya accepted sannyas, leaving aside his householder life to preach his mission because he saw that uh, it was unfavorable. People were taking him as an ordinary person and even making offenses. So he took the sannyas order in order to get respect from everybody because he knew that they would benefit from that. So in that sense, it was utilitarian. Then he has equanimity in different senses. First, he describes the confidential truth of the personality of Godhead. So this is the um, product of the internal energy. The devotee, Mahatmanas Tumam Partha Daivim Prakriti Mashrita Pajantyananya Manaso Gyadva Bhutati Maviyam Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, the, the great souls are under the protection of my internal potency. And... Uh, Krishna, a shakti vina nahi tar pravartan. Only one who is empowered by the internal potency of the Lord, Krishna shakti, can teach about Krishna consciousness. So when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu teaches, because he's Krishna himself in the mood of Radharani, it's so satisfying because he's giving the knowledge for which we are always anxious. This is one of the translations of the Shikshashtakam that through the Sankirtan movement, through following Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and hearing from him and chanting Hare Krishna, one comes to know that information that everyone's hankering for. It actually fulfills the innermost desire of the heart, uh, hearing about the confidential truth of the personality of Godhead. And no one can do that but a devotee. And so when Lord Krishna comes as his devotee, how pleasing is that? hearing the confidential truth of himself. And second, he satisfies everyone by knowledge and attachment to Krishna, which is, the uh, mis there's a mistaken idea generally about spiritual life. One of the conclusions people often jump to is that spiritual life means the negation of the material world. However, it actually means enlightened engagement with the material world. Because it's all Krishna's energy. The, the practical and real philosophy is that because everything can be used in Krishna's service, then when it is, it's transcendentalized and when it's left behind as being useless then that's called false renunciation so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu shows this very practical way to use the whole world in Krishna's service and Prabhupada when he came to preach Krishna consciousness uh, showed by example how this was possible even for those who came thinking it was something else for instance often the young people who first joined in 1960 six and seven said, okay, I'm going to quit my job. And Prabhupada said, no, keep your job. And they were very surprised. He keep working and you uh, give the money to help expand the Krishna consciousness movement. First of all, many young people couldn't have stayed engaged fully. And second of all, he proved through this um, engagement that uh, everyone should do what is most practical to help spread the Krishna conscious movement, that way you become purified, your senses become purified. Then, still continuing in that purport, he's peaceful because he renounces all topics not related to service of Krishna. That's important, and the this shows that the way to become actually peaceful and happy is to renounce topics not related to Krishna. Baladebhidyabhusan has explained that the word nishta indicates as being rigidly fixed and chanting the holy names of Sri Krishna. And 
if there's one thing to be fixed in in life, one habit to develop, it's the chanting of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra and staying fixed in the vow. Because if we can do that, then we'll overcome all, all the other obstacles that uh, will inevitably come as we practice Christian consciousness in this world or just live in the world itself, which always goes sideways one way or the other. Lord Chaitanya subdued all disturbing opponents of devotional service, especially the monists, who are actually averse to the personal feature of, of the Supreme Lord. And this was part of Prabhupada's mission to overcome the monists and also atheistic um, scientists who, were, who say that everything comes from matter. And this is a, a great impediment to the world at large. And therefore, Anacharya suffers when he hears that people are getting this misinformation. And therefore, he wanted all of his followers to understand the teachings of Bhagavad Gita and of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and then to go out and teach systematically how it is that everything comes from, from a person and that that uh, person is our original conscious source. It's not that things come from matter. And also to challenge modern, the modern science, scientific theory. He didn't want us to be foolhardy and say, okay, because we're challenging the premise of science, we don't use anything that's produced by science. We appreciate what's been used by science, but we also understand the limits of science to understand or describe the absolute truth. And uh, those who put their faith completely in science to explain the origin of life and so forth are um, will be left unsatisfied and misdirected. So we're not fanatical in the sense that we discount everything science has done. We don't ride on airplanes or take uh, modern medicine because we say, oh, it's coming from some demoniac source. But we do challenge the, the very basic premise which is practically ubiquitous. You'll find any book you read, you get to the second chapter or three-quarters of the way through the introduction and somebody, some most authors will bring up the fact that the premise of their book has to do with the fact that we evolved from a lower species of life and that it was Darwinian evolution. This, this is embedded in society. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he... This movement, spreading the movement, really means to undo these misunderstandings and so that it's um, systemically available, the idea that everything comes from a supreme person. Many people consider this to be archaic and non-scientific, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu showed very scientifically, as did his followers like the Goswamis, particularly Jiva Goswami, that the how it is that everything comes from the Supreme Personality of Godhead and that all the uh, the Vedas are pointing to that for the monists. It's not pointing to the impersonal aspect of the Lord. And let's just see if there's any reflections from today. A reflection from Ashraya Madhava Prabhu said, he is peaceful because he renounces all topics not really related to the service of Krishna. And from a previous class, Kautukarnava said, do we know examples of different Salokya, Samipya, Sarshti, Sarupya, since all Vaikuntavasis have same form as Lord Narayan, except for Kushtuba Jem, they live on the same planet with the Lord, they are personal associates of the Lord, most probably they have same opulence as the Lord, so what is the difference between the four? Actually, um, there are multifarious forms in Vaikuntha. This is confirmed Kautakarnava. In Prabhu, in the uh, Brihat Bhagavatam retail, let me see if I can just access that for a second. Yes, if you look in the Brihat Bhagavatam Rita, in the chapter um, two four thirty four, Vaikuntha, the spiritual kingdom, there's description there about the Lord's forms. Here's uh, Gopu Kumar outside of Vaikuntha, before he goes in. Uh, he's uh, describing. They extolled the wonder, this is at text 33, they extolled the wonder of the great pastimes of the Lord, the husband of Lakshmi, as if his pastimes were those of some all-victorious king, 
and they were eager to see the Lord's lotus feet. Commentary, Gopa Kumar was amazed at how these persons conducted themselves. These are Vaikuntavasis. They sang and danced without inhibition, expressing the glories of their victorious Lord. They told one another how their Lord favored his responsible servants by providing suitable homes and fine food and drink. Indeed, because Lord Narayan is the husband of the goddess Lakshmi, it is only fitting that he display his sovereignty with such opulence and that his servants share in it. 34. Some were with their families, some were some with an array of things, and others had left their families and things outside. Commentary. Some Vaikuntavasis were entering the Lord's kingdom with their children, wives, and servants. Some rode in their own vehicles and carried their own umbrellas, chamras, and weapons. Others chose to keep their families and baggage outside the gate of Vaikuntha. 35. Some had absorbed all that they had into themselves, and like beggars without possessions, they came alone, immersed in the modes of devotional meditation. Commentary. The Vaikuntha devotees who preferred a more meditative mood of service hid within their own transcendental bodies the families and property Lord Narayan had awarded them. So the devotees arriving in Vaikuntha were full in all powers and showed the full range of devotional variegatedness in their pastimes of worshiping the Supreme Lord in perfect ecstasy. 36. Some assumed different forms at different times with all kinds of ornaments, bodily features, and ways of acting, all exceedingly attractive. Commentary, the Vaikuntha devotees not only acted in many different ways, but also assumed many different forms, including those of animals, birds, and trees. Some devotees would show one form for some time and then change it to another. Some appeared as humans, some as monkeys, demigods, demons, or sages, and some bore the signs of persons initiated into the behavior of the Varnashram system. Commentary, the residents of Vaikuntha are in fact purely transcendental persons. The substance of their bodies is unalloyed Sakchidananda. So these residents never belong to the human or any other material species, nor to the limited designations of Varnas and Ashramas. Still, for the Lord's pleasure, they may assume or relinquish any form at any time. Some of them, therefore, appeared before Gopakumar like members of Vedic society wearing the signs of particular ashrams and varnas. Some wore sacred threads like initiated prominence, indicating that they chanted mantras for worshipping the Lord, and they carried kusha grass and kamandulus in their hands, wore tulsi malas on their necks, and had tilak on their foreheads. Some looked like Indra, Chandra, or other demigods. Some had three eyes or four heads or four arms or eight or a thousand faces. Commentary, some of the Vaikuntha residents looked like the king of heaven, Indra, with a thousand eyes on their bodies and thunderbolt weapons in their hands. Others appeared like the gods of the moon, sun, fire, and wind. These demigods headed by Indra are not actually incarnations of the Supreme Lord like Lord Shiva and Brahma who are especially empowered guna avatars. If required for service to Lord Narayan, the Vaikuntavasis can assume the exact forms of ordinary demigods, but empowered incarnations and direct expansions of Narayan, such as Anantashesha, and Vaikuntavasis can only emulate to the extent of copying certain of their bodily features. Later I shall explain to you the reason for this extreme variety of appearances for those who enjoy the moods of devotion to Krishna, is there anything not beautiful? Commentary in Vaikuntha, the liberation of Sarupya, having a form similar to that of the Supreme Lord, is available to everyone. We may reasonably expect, therefore, that all the Vaikuntha residents should have four arms and look like Lord Narayan. Why then did some of them look like humans, monkeys, and all sorts of other forms of life? Gopakumar later heard from Narada Muni the definitive philosophical explanation for this variety, and in the course of the present narration, Gopakumar will relate, will relate that to his own student. But even granting that there is a reason for varieties of bodies in Vaikuntha, why should Lord Narayana's devotees assume ugly bodies like those of monkeys? In response, it may be said 
that we know from common worldly experience that anyone who has intense attraction to something cannot help but see that thing as beautiful, no matter what it is. This is also true on the spiritual level. Otherwise, why would the Supreme Lord and his devotees be so attracted to persons like Hanuman and Jambavan? The residents of Vaikuntha transcend everything material. For persons within the material creation, the manifold glories of those residents and the glories of, Vaikunt of the Vaikuntha world and its master are beyond analogy and beyond the power of words to describe. Commentary. Normally, the varieties of life forms in any realm indicate a vast hierarchy of relative superiority or, and inferiority, as Gopu Kumar saw, among the residents of heaven. <clears throat> Such a hierarchy might seem out of place in Vaikuntha, where everyone should be equal on the platform of Sakchirananda. Gopu Kumar wants to explain carefully to his student the real situation, but is afraid of committing offenses by applying material examples to the transcendental reality of Vaikuntha. Therefore, he first gives a disclaimer. Comparisons to things of the known world may help neophytes begin to understand the spiritual world, but can never do full justice to that higher reality. Since the categories of spiritual existence are totally different from those of the material world, spiritually immature Intelligence has no power to comprehend them directly. Nonetheless, my dear Pramana, you are a resident of the material world and your intelligence is confined because all you can see is what is material. So I say it, it is like this, so that by material examples you might understand various things more easily. May Lord Hari forgive this offense. Commentary, an attempt to describe spiritual existence in material terms is, strictly speaking, inappropriate and impossible. Yet if a conditioned soul can be even a little attracted by words evoking some of the glories of Vaikuntha, and if he can be encouraged to take up the task of spiritual development, the impossible can indeed become possible. Any honest attempt to enlighten the conditioned soul with Vaikuntha consciousness is worthwhile and praiseworthy. Even though our thinking may now be covered by concepts of matter and conditioned life, pure Vaishnavas can guide us gradually to transcendental understanding. We know from ordinary experience what a king is, so if we can further appreciate the personality of Godhead as a supreme king, we have begun to understand his glories. And he goes on from there, but I, hopefully that um, gives you a little more context to Karnava in that section. Does that help? Why don't you give your realization in return uh, after he ha having heard that? Uh, I understand that although all of them have the Sarupya, they have the opportunity to have the same form as Lord, but still they exhibit different bodily forms according to their mood and relationship uh, with Lord Narayan. So there is still variegatedness, uh, even though they have the facility to be, to have, have the same form as well. Thank you. Very nicely done. And doesn't it also indicate quite clearly that we may be used to the ways that the material world are confining and that we're limited by the, by the conditioning and by the modes of material nature to act in a certain way, to be in a certain way, whereas in Vaikuntha, there are no rules. It's an unfettered realm, unfettered by, by the conditioning of Maya. And therefore, there's no stereotype there. <laughs> there's no rules. It's unlimited. And uh, anything can happen, really. And it can change from one... one um, the forms are, are completely malleable. Like uh, there was a description there of one of the residents. He had, he had put all the possessions that the Lord had given him inside himself. You know, we seek some of these ideas in, in movies and cartoons here and, you know, where heroes and superheroes can do practically anything. They'll swallow, you know, a whole world or, uh, you know, absorb something. But where do these ideas come from? of the unlimited, the sense is, is there because this, in the spiritual world, all this is reality. 
Yeah, thanks for asking that important question. Hare Krishna. Wow. Okay, a few reflections came in. Let's see. Reflection, reflection. Amit uh, said, uh, Nishta, stay fixed in chanting and stay fixed in the, to the vow. Yes, this is very important. If one can follow the right vows, then uh, one can extricate oneself from the material world and become happy. It's actually Krishna's teaching in the Bhagavad Gita, Jagnartak Kamano Natra Loko Yam Karma Bandhana Tadartam Karma Kuntaya Mukta Sangha Samachara that if you, you want to find happiness and, and be adjusted in this world and also attain liberation at the end, then take to yagya. And yagya means uh, pleasing the Lord's senses by certain activities. This is the gentle kind of renunciation that we enact. It's not militant renunciation of the world for the sake of renouncing and withdrawing the senses, but we rather use our senses to engage in Krishna's service. And that's yagya, and that brings us... And if we stay fixed in those vows, then we'll be protected from the onslaught of the material senses. Raga dvesha vimuktais tu vishayan indrayaishcharan atma vashera vidhyatma prasada marigachati. Could you put that up? So in this verse, Raga Dvesha Vimuktais tu Vishayan Indriyaishcharan. Somebody tell me why I quoted that verse in context of what we're talking about or what I was just saying. Please. Why am I quoting this verse in the context of what I was just saying? Por favor. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, but a person free from all attachment and aversion and able to control his senses through regulatory principles of freedom can attain, obtain the complete mercy of the Lord. Okay, raga means attachment and dvesha means detachment. So these, raga and dvesha are two of the kleshas, uh, the miseries of the mind. It's a, there's a way in which uh, our minds are overcome by uh, various um, impediments. There are five kleshas altogether, and two of them, two of the five, as mentioned in yoga psychology, are raga and dvesha. So where do these come from? Raga means an attachment for certain things, and dvesha means a certain aversion to other things. So these come because of our uh, previous impressions. I, in numerous previous lives, have had encounters with objects of the senses and various situations in the world. And because those, every time I engage with the world, it leaves an impression in my mind, like um, a photograph, and it's there. In fact, we don't see the world directly. We only see the world through the photograph, the photography that's taking place within our mind. The image comes in, it's photographed, and there's an image left on my mind, and that stays there. Then it becomes, uh, it becomes a determining factor in which way I move in life. In fact, this is really what karma means there's a way in which I'm impelled by my previous works and impressions in my mind to move in a certain direction and make certain kinds of choices. This is confirmed by Krishna in the 17th uh, chapter of the Bhagavad Gita in the um, third verse. Why don't you look that up really quick and I'll just show that second or third verse. Was, uh, where he says, does Lord Krishna that we are made of our uh, faith. And uh, that means that our, there it is, sattvanu rupa sarvasya shraddha bhavati bharata shraddha 
Mayo yam purusho yo yach trada saevasaha. O son of Parata, according to one's existence under the various modes of nature, one evolves a particular kind of faith. The living being is said to be of a particular faith according to the modes he has uh, acquired. So you can go back to, uh, to the other verse. And that, that acquisition means that we're acquiring these uh, samskars, impressions in our mind, in our chitta. And uh, they come from these vrittis or waves of impressions that come into the mind. And uh, therefore, because of those previous impressions, I have a predisposition towards certain sense objects and aversion to others. Can anybody think of examples of people you know that have an aversion, natural aversion to certain kind of sense objects and, uh, and a, 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 a spontaneous attraction towards others? Or can you name, name two of those features in yourself? Cats like cat food. <laughs> well, at least they pretend they do. Uh, yeah, cats like cat food. Dogs like dog food. Uh, dogs howl at the moon. Uh, yeah. Aversion a, a a to sense objects? Which ones? I want specific. Uh, I'll, gi I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh, you, you, you're walking uh, on the sidewalk and suddenly you understand that uh, nearby there is a stool of an animal, a cat or a dog. And that immediately you feel aversion. You, you, you distance yourself from that and, and go walking. Yep. Yeah. That's that's true, and it, in some cities you got to do a, a lot of averting to get around it. Um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so thank you. There's natural attraction and aversion. So then, I'm, I consider I'm free, but actually I'm not free. It's coming from my subconscious mind. These impressions, and therefore I'm making choices based on that. That's confirmed by the verse I showed you from seventeen three. Shadamayo Yam Purushaha. The Purusha has acquired certain kinds of impressions and therefore has a, t a type of Shraddha, which means uh, a predisposition towards certain kinds of things and an opposition for others or, or an aversion towards others. So going back again to where we were. No, no, go back to the Gita. I wasn't done with Raga Dvesha Vimuktais too. Yes, Manjula Kanta. Please go ahead. When you were saying that there's a natural aversion or a natural attraction to something, I was thinking that that really depends sometimes on the curiosity of an individual. Some people are naturally curious. They want to try different things. Good or bad, they don't care. They want to try. And some people just don't. Is that also a mode of nature? Whatever, yes. Whatever it may be, our subhava or our personality, our traits, our curiosities and so forth are products of the three modes of material nature. This is confirmed throughout the Gita, the verse I showed you, and also in the 13th chapter where Krishna describes the, the modes of material nature and their interactions. You, you can look at that too. Look at 13.7. Uh, and you'll see all the interactions that take place within the realm of the material um, nature, including the, uh, the gross matter and subtle matter. 13.7. Krishna describes as interaction. One sec, let me just show this one thing or I'll forget. Um, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. It's probably because it's a series of verses. If you just go the 13, 6 or 5, then you can go forward. 6, six and 7, 6 and 7. Six and seven. Thank you. Okay, so here he, he talks, Mahabhutyan Yahankaro. So here he's describing 
all the material world, right? Mahabhutani Hankaro. So Mahabhutani, it's the great elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, then Ahankaro, and then false ego. Buddhi, more subtle elements, Avyaktam, the unmanifested, this is Sankhya, naming all the different parts of the material world. Eva, certainly. Indriyani Daishaikam Cha, Pancha Chandriya Goshara, and then we have the, the senses, the uh, <clears throat> active senses for acquiring knowledge and for, for working. Icha Dvesha Sukham Dukham. So, Icha means desire, and Dvesha means hatred, Sukham, happiness, Dukham, distress, Sangita, the aggregate. You can add curiosity to that list. Chaitana, the living entity, the living symptoms, living symptoms, Dritti, conviction, Etat, all this, Shetram, the field of activity, Samasena, in summary, Savikaram, with interactions, Uttaritam, exemplified. Translation is, the five great elements, false ego, intelligence, the unmanifested, the ten senses and the mind, the five sense objects, desire, hatred, happiness, distress, the aggregate, the life symptoms, and convictions, all these are considered in summary to be the field of activity and its interactions. So this is the interaction of the field of activities, has nothing to do with the soul. This is the conditioned nature. And I, I think, uh, I misidentify with that through false ego. I think this is me. Oh, I'm this curious little chap and I like uh, butterscotch uh, ice cream or something like that. But th these are all coming from our subconscious, uh, some scars, the way we've been conditioned. Other people don't like ice cream. If you go to, yeah, I'm serious. If you go... <laughs> If you go to some countries, they don't like sweets. Uh, if you give if you give Indian sweets to Japanese people, they're like, you know, it's way too sweet for them. They have fake sweets in Japan. <laughs> it's not sweet at all. So, um, so this raga dvesha. Let's try this one again. Raga dvesha vimuktais tu. So raga and dvesha. We have this klesha in our mind that's uh, impelling us to make certain choices based on subconscious impulses. Vimuktais, by one who has become free from. Two, vishayan, sense objects, indriyai. So these sense objects are part of the, the, uh, the field of activities and its interactions, right? And now, um, if you, rather than following that, those impulses and just saying I'm free, which you're not, and saying I'm free to do whatever I want, which you're not I'll, either. But instead, you follow uh, Vidheya Atma, you, you become one who follows the higher authority. You f follow the instruction given by the Shastra, by Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita, then you rise above the limitations of the senses and the conditioning because you're no longer doing it for yourself. And you may look like you're moving in the world like an ordinary person, but because your intention and your alignment is different, the context is different. So this is um, important because context is uh, vital. For instance, if somebody probably gives this example, if somebody uh, kills another man, uh, he can go intentionally, he can get the, the, uh, in some states, the, uh, the death sentence. But if you're wearing a uniform representing your country and uh, you kill somebody else wearing a uniform representing their country uh, during wartime, then you get a medal and you become a hero that you killed a man. Very good. Bravo. Well done. So you did the same thing, but the context was different. So for, for those who are... Um, moving about the world, using their senses and so forth, they're following the regulative principles of freedom. Uh, these people are not entangled by their previous impressions, the, the clashes within their mind, because they're uh, following the higher authority. Okay, now where are we? Uh, Garima says... Um, 
One habit to develop is chanting Hare Krishna. Other obstacles will be overcome by itself. Yes. And Prabhupada gave this example. If you have a glass full of ink and you pour in more and more milk, then uh, gradually all the ink will be gone and only the milk will remain within the glass. So no matter how, how dire or desperate or help or hopeless it, it, it seems, it's not. Everything can be overcome by the chanting of the holy name. Guaranteed. And Dharavari says, um, I like the point, Vishnu Sastranam, Suvarnamarana, Hey Mango, Hey Mango Chanjanangiri. I did this with my father since childhood, but did not know the meaning of Lord Chaitanya's avatar. Yes, very nice doing the Vishnu Sastranam since childhood. What a what a nice samskar that is, isn't it? Hare Krishna. Yes. Hare Krishna Deva Ratha. I was really appreciating your point about the senses and the conditioning of the senses and how they're attracted to certain sense objects. And I was also thinking how today's reading from Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's giving elaborate descriptions of the characteristics and qualities of Lord Chaitanya. And it helps us recalibrate our subtle body to become attracted towards Krishna. And then I was thinking of the pastime with Rukmini when she sent the message to Krishna. And in her first, the first, the first line of her message, She's saying how simply by hearing about your qualities, I've developed attraction to you. And she had such eagerness, she was ready to give up her life simply by hearing about Krishna, just to attain Krishna. So I was just appreciating that in relationship to our reading today and how hearing about Lord Chaitanya's features helps recalibrate our subtle body. Yes, it's an excellent point. Actually, she told Krishna, I'm ready to give up life after life. If, if, if I cannot attain your mercy that I'll, I'll simply perform austerities until I die. <laughs> and I'll do that life after life until you give me your mercy. And this is the mood of, uh, or the kind of desire that's required to advance rapidly on the path of devotional service is to develop this red-hot desire, this boiling desire to, to meet Krishna, to be with Krishna and so forth. And it begins with hearing about him. This is also mentioned quite prominently prominently in the pastime of the wives of the brahmanas who had never met Krishna, but they had heard about him from others. When they went to the marketplace to shop for their husbands who were Vedic brahmins performing sacrifices, they would come in contact with the residents of Vrindavan and in bartering for various articles they needed for their yagya, they would hear about Krishna and his qualities. And just by hearing that, they became so attracted that it, that was their intense desire to meet Krishna. Of course, great discoveries come only under the prepared mind, said Louis Pasteur. So when the devotees prepared by hearing about Krishna and develops that desire, then when the opportunity comes, as it did for the wives of the Brahmins, and they heard Krishna was there and wanted their service to bring him and Balaram some food, they immediately dropped their other work, their sacrifices, and they ran to the forest. And the Acharyas all say that this was because they had come in contact with the residents of Vrindavan and heard the past times and about the qualities of Krishna. So they became so enamored. Okay. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes, Hare Krishna. I had the same thing that Mataji just said. I always recited Vishnu Sahasranama since I was a kid, but I never knew about Mahaprabhu's. <laughs> This okay, this meant actually the Mahaprabhu's appearance, so it was just amazing to know that. Yeah, well, that's why um, it's so important to have parampara, because when we hear from the acharyas, like Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur and um, and others, we we have the inside track. We understand, whoa, what was Krishna thinking here? Or what does this mean, and so forth, and to actually unlock the meaning of all the scriptures, what to speak of just one verse, the entire purpose is not well known oftentimes. Uh, people think that the Vedas are a hodgepodge and you can pick whatever, whatever, whatever you like and it's all the same. And this is, you know, like modern day Hinduism, like whatever you like, 
you can do. Yatamat tatapat. People actually teach this kind of uh, idea. But the, there is uh, a way in which, for instance, the Goswamis, Nana Shastra Vicharanaika Nipunoshad Dharma Samstapako, they established very clearly the overall purpose of the Vedas. And if you read Tattva Sandarbha, you'll see how expertly Jiva Goswami brings us to this clear siddhanta about how the Srimad Bhagavatam is uh, more important than the Vedas. First of all, it completes the Vedas, and this is uh, perfectly um, appropriate because there's a way in which the, the Puranas and their supplements, the Itihasas and so forth, are explaining what's in the Vedas in a, in a language that people can understand. And then the Srimad Bhagavatam, out of all the different Puranas, uh, comes to the ultimate conclusion, or it gives the, the fruit of all the Vedic teachings. And then, of course, we find out the holy name, like Sarvavedishu Drishyate, even in the verse from the Upanishads that describes the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, which says, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Iti Sodashakam Nam Nam, Kali Kalma Shanashanam, that is just saying the different uh, aspects of the holy name. And then it says, Sarvavedishu Drishyate, those who know how to look in the Vedas, they have the proper vision of the Vedas. They'll understand that all the Vedas are pointing here to this mantra. And uh, so who would know that? You know, people say, oh, uh, Vedas mean you can worship Ganesh, you can worship uh, Durga, it's all the same, blah, blah, blah. But then uh, the Acharyas come and establish Siddhanta uh, so that you understand where to put all your energy and attention so that you don't um, diffuse it in places that are not helpful to you. Okay, we probably have time for... Uh, let's see, Vaikundar Nayakapu was here. He says, We hear the Leela where an old woman climbed up on Mahaprabhu's shoulders to take darshan of deities and Mahaprabhu appreciated her enthusiasm while well, Mahaprabhu himself would stand next to Garuda Stamba in the mood that the Lord would perhaps see him when he sees Garuda. Similarly, His Holiness Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, I heard, would not even wear his glasses while taking darshan. His mood was that more than he seeing the Lord, the Lord should see him. So while taking darshan, what should we emulate? The enthusiasm of the old woman or the self-effacing uh, mood of Mahaprabhu, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Which should we have? The enthusiasm of the old woman or the self-effacing? Well, both are there, uh, should be there. We should have great enthusiasm, obviously. You know, once I was in Varshana, and uh, actually it was my first time I I was in Varshana, and they somebody told me, oh, there's going to be a darshan over here. So around that time, there were a lot of local people and they all came and they were gathering right in front of the uh, altar. And then the doors opened. I didn't know what the signal was to open the doors, but apparently they did. And before I knew it, I was, I was um, knocked to the ground by their enthusiasm. And uh, also in uh, seeing Radha, Shishi Radha Govinda, we used to go up there every year f to uh, Jayapur. Uh, to go for the Mangalarti for Shishi Radha Govinda. I remember the first time I was there thinking, okay, this is where, this is the end. This is where I end my life <laughs> because 3,000 people in Mangalarti, and when they brought out the lamp, they don't pass it around, but the Bajari holds it out and everyone surges for it. And literally I was smashed in the middle and I thought, this is it, right in front of the deities, I'm gone, you know. Uh, but actually... In both cases, I felt this surge of spontaneous energy come through my body, and I thought, wow, this is, these are real devotees here. What am I doing in the midst of them, first of all? And second of all, I felt like, because, of, because they touched me, uh, pushing me out of the way <laughs> to see the TV or to get the lamp, I actually got some, some kind of benediction went into my body uh, from that spontaneous attraction. So Utsahan is always auspicious, actually. It's always suspicious when you when you apply it to the Lord, 
then it's even more auspicious. But we should always have that mood of, for instance, sometimes if someone dresses the deities and then they come in and they take pictures, which is, it's fine uh, to show, you know, to remember what you did and how you dress the deities and stuff. But if you start thinking in terms of, um, I'm going to show off uh, that I'm the best or something like that. And, uh, you know, when you come before the deities, if your enthusiasm can be misplaced also. If you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm the best kirtan leader, listen to me, or um, you have a misplaced mood, then, then you miss out on the sweetness of actually being seen by Krishna and the mood, if your mood's not correct. So these are, these are indicative of different moods. It's not that Srila Bhaktisiddhanta is not enthusiastic like that woman when she, he comes to see the deity, but he's also expressed that enthusiasm in another way by showing uh, that I'm this is um, my surrender I'm here as your servant you please you see me okay so we've come to the that um, bewitching hour 10 o'clock at time to first to stop and I thank you very much uh, for um, taking your whole morning to come together to chant and hear and now let's have the Guru Puja. Maharaj. Yes. Uh, Maharaj, I have a question. Like in 2.64, you have read the purport. Here, yeah. Prabhupada referring that but a person free from all attachment and aversion and able to control his senses through relative principles of freedom can obtain the complete mercy of the Lord. What is mean by the complete mercy of the Lord? It means that one will develop one's relationship with Krishna because when uh, this is this is the the greatest need of the Lord and the greatest prasad of the Lord, the greatest favor of the Lord is that He. Um, allows us to serve him and to to uh, to know him to enter into relationship with him so the complete mercy of the lord is expressed in in many verses where krishna talks about how you can uh, enter into his service for instance samaham sarvabhute shunami dvesho stinapriya ye bhajanti tumam bhaktya mai te teshu chapyaham these are very personal exclamations by the Lord, where he here he's saying that if I'm equal to everybody, if you just ask me some for, for something, you know, I don't discriminate. I give whatever you want. But he says, "Ye bhajanti to If you start to worship me uh, very seriously, then uh, you're in me and I'm in you. you that you become uh, inseparable. And so this is the a great mercy of the of Krishna to the to the practitioner. Of course, you know, there are different uh, layers of, of the Lord's prasad and the different ways that, that he, he gives his favor to the devotees. But the point is, the point is, if you, if you dedicate yourself to Krishna's instructions and uh, consider yourself his devotee, then uh, you'll have a very auspicious life in fact, just uh, the entering onto the path of devotional service, Rupa Goswami says, it relieves you from all material distress. It's the beginning of all auspiciousness. It puts one in transcendental pleasure right away. Then he goes on, there are three more, even more advanced positions as one advances in devotional service, that you, you'll be able to attain that which is rarely achieved. And... You won't desire even liberation from the material world. Imagine that, that I, you know, I don't even care if I get free from the material world. As Krishna, as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said in his Shikshashtakam, that I'm not asking for liberation even because I'm so happily situated right where I am serving that it's, it's not an issue for me. And this, uh, this mood is just very exclusive. It's the only way to attract Krishna. So if you dedicate yourself to Krishna and to the 
the ways that he is um, asking you to reform your life, then he becomes very dear to you and you become dear to him. And that's the mercy of the Lord. That's the prasad. Maharaj here, Lord is saying that you have to be free from all attachment. But bhakti is all about attachment. We have to attach to our guru. We have to attach to our parampara. So are these two are not contradicting them, themselves? Well, they seem to be, but actually they're not. And that's what Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita when he says one who sees action in action in inaction one who sees action in inaction and inaction in action is is really uh, someone who sees clearly because when you're doing akarma it means you're you're not the the result isn't sticking to you because your motive is different and so when you become attached to the supreme personality of godhead then actually you're attached to reality. Reality is beautiful and it's beneficial to be attached to reality. Whereas, as it is said in the 10th canto, 14th chapter by Lord Brahma, those who don't have this attachment to Krishna, their household, their house itself becomes a prison. All their attachments to their relatives become foot shackles. <laughs> but... Look at the residents of Vrindavan and Vraj. They're attached. They have a little town. They didn't want to leave it. When they went to Kurukshetra, Krishna says, here I am. And they said, no, 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 no. We, we want Vrindavan. They're attached to that village. They have pots and pans and houses and blocks and everything else. And they're attached to it, but they don't like it without Krishna. So that attachment is uh, liberating, whereas the attachment that's based on selfish desire to the material world, that is the cause of bondage. Gor Premanande Hari Hari Bo. Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, hey, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman.